God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our infant king, savior of the world. Amen. So um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with, uh, we've done it a couple times, Teresa and I, we did it once here, um, best Christmas pageant ever. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's got a family in it that's very uh, unique, not so unique maybe, I, sh- I said that wrong. They're called the Herdmans. And the whole play is about a church putting on a Christmas pageant. And so which kids do you get to play the parts? And there are some kids that normally play the parts of Mary and Joseph and they expect to do it. And who plays angels and who gets those parts and all those things. And certain kids age out. And, but there's this family that this community church has, in which this family is part. They've, they've kind of embraced them, but they're an awkward family. They're, they're not, um, they're a little feral feral. Is that the right word? They're a little feral. Um, they're not kind of church broken and things like that. And this, this play is set probably, I'm guessing it was written in the 50s or 60s. And so it's a smaller town and a community church and so forth. And it's the Herdmans. And so there's a whole gaggle of them. And they, are, they kind of beat up other kids for their lunch money. And they, they come to church just to eat the snacks. And it's things like that. But they get cast in this play, in the Christmas pageant, to tell the Christmas story. And there's a little bit of an uprising. People are offended that the director, who thought this would be a really great way to have them involved, uh, is kind of criticized by other adults in the church. How could you use those kind of samples of humanity to do this? And one of the girls, a little girl, her name is Gladys, and she's kind of the terror of the whole crew. And she just is a terror. Uh, And Gladys, and she is the angel Gabriel. And so I'm going to read this to you. So these, this is from the play itself. Since Gladys was the only one in the pageant who had anything to say, right? So it's a narrated, right? They, they read the Christmas story out of the Bible. Gladys was the only one who had something to say, anything to say. She made the most of it. Hey, unto you a child is born, she hollered, as if it was for sure the best news in the world. And all the shepherds trembled, sore afraid, of Gladys mainly. But it looked good anyway. You know, one of the points I want to share with you today, and I love services like this, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Thanks for being my family. I just really treasure that. Um, And so I love it when we can be together as family, and and I can just have a conversation with you. Um, I love the idea of, of, of... of the role of the angel. That's a significant role in the Christmas story, isn't it? I, I think in some ways we, we skim over it. We, we have the angels talk, but we don't think about what the angels may have been thinking or what, um, what was the impact. Why did they say the things that they said in the manner in which they said it? So there are, Gabriel is the angel I want to focus on today. We don't know lots of names of angels. We really only know two from Scripture itself. Uh, Gabriel and Michael. And Gabriel, the word angel means messenger. Angelos is that. That word means messenger. And, we, and so there's certain things we know about angels. Tradition and Jewish tradition tells us of other names, Raphael and different, different names. But it's from apocryphal literature. But from Christ, Scripture itself, we have Gabriel, who is God's chief messenger. He goes to Daniel. He's, he appears in the book of Daniel, delivering a message. Goes to Zechariah. Delivers a message. 
goes to Mary. Remember, this, of course, so significant, the Magnificat. We get from Mary's response. And then um, church tradition, this is not in Scripture, but it makes good sense. But tradition tells us that then Gabriel also went to Joseph. Do you remember? He was troubled. You know, right? My wife's pregnant, or my fiance is pregnant. And the, an angel appeared to him in a dream. Do you remember that in the story? In Matthew, it's in Matthew. An angel appeared to him in a dream and said, don't be afraid. Right? So he says, don't be afraid all the time. Daniel, Zechariah, Mary. Let's imagine Joseph. And then it makes sense again, who's God's chief messenger? Why would you handle that to the B team, to the shepherds in the field? You'd handle that to the, give that to the A team, right? And so the A, the A team messenger, Gabriel, we, church tradition imagines, was also the one who said, fear not, for unto you this day, right? I give you gr- good, uh, great time, good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so we imagine, that's who I want to talk about, those four appearances in the New Testament for us. Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and uh, the shepherds. So we do know a, few, a couple things about angels. And uh, so they're, they're messengers, fundamentally. They're not gods. They're not even what you would call godlike beings. That's a weird term. I always hate it when I hear that in literature. I read it in a comic book or I see it in a movie. Godlike being. There's only one godlike being. God. That's how it goes. That's a godlike being. But they are created beings meant to serve the Almighty. So when they serve in certain power, they're very powerful. Uh, they serve as um, part, of, they, they help protect God's people. In the Old Testament, angels come. The power of, the, we have the angel of death. So death and life, um, ordered by God, I mean, under God's direction and so forth. Some of what we know about angels comes from the negative side, from fallen angels. So from those who we, uh, Scripture often calls demons, or the chief of those fallen angels, Lucifer, or the devil, Satan. Satan who sought to be like God and was cast out of heaven. So we know he's that kind of powerful being. So angels that serve God, faithfully serve God in three primary tasks. Uh, They're messengers of God. God sends them with messages. They are warriors. And that, I've, we've talked about this before. It's really cool to imagine that, there, that, are, that angels are small children or chubby fat things with wings. and you know, Or they're very, forgive me, ladies, this is awesome, but they kind of glide like, uh, what was her name? Munster. Mrs. Munster. Morticia. They kind of glide around like this. And the image that we get, especially on the shepherd on the hillside in Bethlehem, is and the heavenly host, God's army. There are things for which God is willing to fight. You are one of them. You should know that. There are things for which God is willing to wage war. And you are among them. Fought the greatest of all battles. And he continues to protect us through those who serve him. But so they are messengers and they are warriors. Um, And they're the honor guard of the Lord Almighty. In the Old Testament, the cherubim and the seraphim, they surround the, the altar of God, the throne room of God. They honor God with their presence. They bow their heads. Their wings cover the glory of God. It's an amazing images. Isaiah gives us lots of those 
powerful images. So those are their three primary purposes. So it makes some sense then, doesn't it, that when angels show up, they say, don't be afraid. You remember in the Old Testament when Moses would come down the mountain after being in the presence of God? And even then, he couldn't see God face to face. No one could see God face to face and live. Which I always find an ironic statement because God had to contain himself so that we could see him in Jesus Christ. I wanted to do a little children's message today and I thought of it too late. I was shaving this morning. Yeah, a little late. Although it was (laughs) 6.15. So I I was shaving this morning. I held this can of shaving cream in my hand and I said, man, this would have been really interesting. Have you ever emptied out a whole can of shaving cream? It feels like a garbage can. A small garbage can. But I mean, it feels, you, you have this thing, this can, you know, that's about the size of a can of a, a good-sized beer. And it feels like a garbage can. It keeps coming out and coming out and coming out and coming out. And I think to myself, that's what the miracle of Christmas, that God chose to contain himself in that space, in that one that lies in the manger, God chose, in him the fullness of the deity lives. He is the very image of the, of, the, of, of the almighty God. We're thankful to the author of Hebrews for that. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that if you're standing in the unveiled presence of the almighty God, and angels are constantly in the presence of God, Moses is up there for what, 40 days? And you're constantly in the presence, when you show up among us, you're going to be awfully shiny. You're going to be reflecting and bearing the presence of God. And not just the the glory, the majesty, the might of God, the perfection of God. I think, you know, it's hard for us, even in human life, that person thinks they're so perfect. I can hardly be in their presence because they're so perfect. They never do anything wrong. It is uncomfortable to be in the presence of perfection because what does it do? It highlights my imperfections. I am reminded of where I fail and where I'm flawed, and I am deeply. And so you can imagine that angels who come here stand and reflect the very perfection, the full perfection. We don't even know what perfection is. We have no idea what it's like. And so there, there is, it, and, the, and then these are warrior, powerful beings endowed by God with, with uh, strength and authority to act on his behalf according to his command. And so when an angel shows up, that's when you sit there and you think, you know that Roman centurion, I thought they were powerful? Now this is power. So when the angels show up, it makes some sense. And Gabriel plays this key role. So what I want to do is just is quickly share with you with these, these four little vignettes. So here's Zechariah. And Zechariah is a priest. And he is not just a nobody priest. He is serving in the holy of holies. They go one time a year. The, uh, the Jewish priest, one time a year. This guy's a somebody. And so he was selected, usually by lot, among the priests to serve in the temple. And you know what they would do? They would tie a rope on your foot so that if you went into the Holy of Holies and croaked, they could pull you out and not violate that holy space. Is that crazy? So that's how holy, and he was serving in that manner when Gabriel appears to him. And I could now, now let me switch to Gabriel's perspective, because we usually talk about this from Zechariah's perspective. Because Gabriel, I imagine, God says, hey, Gabriel, I got a job for you. I need you to go to the priest, go to the Holy of Holies. That makes all perfect sense to the angel, right? Going to go to the place where God has chosen to make his presence known to the people of Israel. 
I'm going to go into the Holy of Holies. This all makes sense. You're going to go to the priest who's serving there. It's great. I'm going to do that. And it's like, I'm, I want you to tell him that his wife's going to have a miraculous birth, Elizabeth, who's barren, aged, way past childbearing. She's going to have a child, and he will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And you can just imagine Gabriel filled with honor and joy at the us aspect of saying, we've waited so long. And here we go. It's like we're going to hear the starter's gun to a race. Bam! And, and, and Gabriel has to be thrilled to death. And so when he shows up, he's got to be filled with joy. And here is Zechariah. And of course, we never expect the presence of God, so we're always caught off guard. So he's in the Holy of Holies and caught off guard. Is that bizarre? It's almost like we come to church and don't expect God to show up. And, and God is already here, already present, pouring out his gifts, eager to share his love. So here he is, caught off guard. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. And I have this news for you. You're gonna, your wife, who's barren, is going to be bear the messenger, the forerunner of the, of the, of the Most High. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to be Elijah. He will be that one that was promised. And Zechariah essentially says, I don't believe it. And and you can imagine for a moment, can't you, that Gabriel might be a bit irritated at this? It's like those of us in heaven, we have all been eagerly awaiting for when God would say go. It's go time. And I come and bring you the best news, the news that theoretically you people have been praying for constantly, day after day after day. Would Messiah come? Would Messiah come? And you don't believe it when we tell it to you. And so I find this a fascinating moment. He doubts the goodness, the faithfulness of God. So to be honest, I'm not critical. I relate to that. I relate to that too often do I ask for God to act, and then when he does, I'm caught off guard. Or that I long for God to act, and he acts in a way that I don't expect. We'll talk about that with Joseph in a moment. So if there's four things from this, if I say, what do we want to learn here? Here's the first thing to learn. When God shows up, just say thank you. Just say thank you. Second one, Gabriel comes to Mary. So you can imagine in the heavenly council, God says, you know, six months later, God says, Gabriel got another task for you, stage two. We're in the second step of the plan. We've got, the, we've got Elijah coming, the forerunner of the Messiah, the announcer, He's coming, the herald. Now it's time for the big move. I'm on the move. I'm coming to save them. Who am I going to, Lord? There's a little peasant girl who lives in Nazareth. Gabriel says, never heard of the place. Haven't heard of her either. But he faithfully brings the message. You know, it's interesting I, I can imagine uh, people who know me know, I'm hesitant to say this because now I'm afraid this will backfire on me. I don't like pranks. I, I don't like being pranked. Um, so Robert Rashke, if you're watching this, knock it off. <laughs> He's the best prankster. But I don't like pranks. I, I don't know why. I don't, I, I don't know why. Because people do them in good fun, almost always. You know, and so, but I don't like it. I can imagine, I'm, I'm thinking that I might have a tie with angels because I think angels don't like pranks either. 
I don't imagine them as being pranksters. I don't really even imagine them having much of a sense of humor. I, I, don't, I think they're pretty serious. I think, that, and here's the point, it's not that they don't, that they don't appreciate joy, because you can imagine the joy that's in heaven, that's different than a sense of humor, that's different. I think what they don't, what they struggle to understand is, um, is what they struggle with is the gravity of the situation. I think what I don't like about pranks is I'm too focused. And so I'm focused on this thing and a prank distracts or diverts. And I think that angels may struggle with that. And I wonder if Gabriel, when coming to Mary, wondered, is this humor? Is God pulling a fast one? Is this a joke? And yet faithfully comes to Mary because why would it be this one? I find, and so, and, and again, I'm going to refer back to best Christmas pageant ever. If you haven't seen it, you can watch it free. It's an easy one. Here's a comment on the Herdman family. They looked like the people you see on the 6 o'clock news. Refugees. Sent to wait in some strange, ugly place. With all their boxes and sacks around them. It suddenly occurred to me that this was just the way it must have been for the real holy family. Stuck away in a barn by people who didn't much care what happened to them. They couldn't have been very neat and tidy either, but more like this Mary and Joseph. Then, and then later in, uh, later in the play, there's kind of a culminating scene um, when they sing Silent Night and so forth and the birth happens. And so the, the, the Herdman family is all gathered around there and it's kind of cool. Everyone sang Silent Night, including the audience. We sang all the verses, too. And when we got to Son of God, Love's Pure Light, I happened to look at Imogene. Imogene was playing Mary, and she's another of the Herdmans. And I almost dropped my hymnal on the baby angel. Everyone had been waiting all this time for the Herdmans to do something absolutely unexpected. And sure enough, that was what happened. Imogene Herdman was crying. In the candlelight, her face was all shiny with tears, and she didn't even bother to wipe them away. She just sat there, awful old Imogene, in her crookedy veil, crying and crying and crying. I don't know if the angels got it, but God did. When God went to Mary and acted outside of our ways, Zechariah doubts God. Mary doubts herself. And when I say that, I don't mean that in some a bad or sinful way. Zechariah doubts God's faithfulness. But Mary says, who am I? Who am I that the Lord should come to me? So what do we learn from Mary's encounter with Gabriel? If in Zechariah, maybe what we should learn when God comes with a message is to just say thank you. With Mary, we could echo with her, I am the Lord's servant. The third one, let's imagine that he does come to Joseph. And again, tradition tells us this. And so you can imagine the conversation in heaven again. God says, hey, Gabriel, I got another one for you. I need you to go down and help me out. Joseph's a little bit un unnerved about this. So I need you to go and encourage him. And so I can imagine that Gabriel, knowing Joseph, because Scripture tells us he was devout and righteous. He was a man who honored the law of God, who wanted to faithfully live it out. 
And so, and so Gabriel may have thought in his mind, this is good. Mary has a devout and righteous man. But wait a minute. He's going to divorce her? He's going to set her aside? Even though Mary, I went to Mary and gave her the very word of God from the very mouth of the Almighty, I gave it to Mary. Why, why is Joseph doing this thing? It's one, and so here's what I think the situation is. Joseph, I'm imagining, is a very good, devout Jewish man who sees the world in black and white. And Luke is very good throughout his gospel to remind us that periodically God colors outside the lines. I have a coloring page from my grandson. I mean, we're building a house and moving, and I can't find it anywhere. But I wanted to show you this coloring page that I got where uh, my grandson is not careful to stay in the lines. God is that way too. God gives us lines because he loves us, and he knows how much we need those. But God sometimes colors outside the lines. Thanks be to God. Because if we got simply what we deserved, what justice demanded, we'd be in trouble. And so thanks be to God that grace colors outside the lines. Grace fills in where we ourselves have failed. And so what do we learn here? What God is teaching, what Gabriel might be teaching to Joseph. Joseph, God colors outside the lines beyond our understanding. Thanks be to God. And then finally, he appears to the shepherds. And, you know, I think the conversation again is, okay, Gabriel, you're going to take the whole team now. Take the whole company, take the whole division, take all of them. And you go to the hillside in Bethlehem, outside the stable where this is born, in the hillside, and you announce the birth. And I can just hear Gabriel going, thank you, Lord. Finally, no more hiding the ball. We're going to announce this to the whole world. And then God says, tell it to those four shepherds out there. Okay, Lord, why them? And so this, I think, is so powerful for us. I love the scene with the shepherds, and I really appreciated 11 o'clock service last night. A powerful video image that we shared and Chris's comments on that, devotional thoughts. You can catch that on our YouTube channel if you want to watch that. Why them? God is reminding Gabriel, and he's reminding us that he says, I will come to shepherd my flock. I'm a, I will be their good shepherd. The mighty will miss this, but these guys won't miss it. It's a remind, the miracle is that they even believed that God comes for all, from the highest to the lowest. But perhaps even more significantly, the announcement is made to the shepherds to remind us all that you have never ever seen another human being who does not bear within them the image of God. Not one. No matter how someone may treat you or speak to you, whatever your own history may be, whatever that sheet, balance sheet may look like, every human being who your eyes have ever set, uh, laid, laid upon bears the image of the Almighty. And God's message to them is this is a reminder to this world that every person has a value that we cannot calculate or evaluate. And then finally, he also reminds us that these guys would tell the story. One of the great things that I love is in the video that we watched last night, when they got the announcement, when the shepherds got the announcement from the, from the angel, his comment, their comments were, they said it over and over, people have to know this. People have to know this. People have to know. 
And so with the message that I think we take from that, what to learn from this encounter with Gabriel and the shepherds, people have to know that God has come to save us all. How is that a message we could ever keep within ourselves? People have to know. People have to know. God has come to save. So the angels had some learning to do as well, just like us. Our joy can be the angels' greatest joy, their joy to serve faithfully, to carry the message of truth and love to all creation, trusting in the faithfulness of our almighty God. They may have often wondered, these angels, waiting and waiting, just as the Israelites did, would the darkness ever be overcome? Would light ever invade? The pastor and his wife were reminiscing about the worst nativity pageant ever, in their experience. It wasn't the Herdman's. It was at the church where he grew up. Now, the youth group was in charge. That's always a dangerous thing. And staging a manger scene. The pastor was chosen to play Joseph, and his future wife was chosen to play Mary. They did their parts with seriousness and commitment, looking as pious as possible. And then it came time for the shepherds to enter. The choir was singing while shepherds watched their flocks by night. And some of their fellow young people, the kids in the youth group, dressed in flannel bathrobes and toweled headgear, and they proceeded up to the altar. Mary and Joseph both managed to gaze solemnly at the straw, which contained a naked light bulb. But then one of the shepherds broke the sacred spell. With his back to the congregation, he said in a very loud whisper that everyone could hear, Well, Joe, when are you going to pass out the cigars? The spell of the occasion was not simply broken by his remark. It exploded. Mary and Joseph, the Mary and Joseph cover was completely destroyed as it became impossible to hold back the bursts of laughter. The chief angel standing on a chair behind them was the worst. She shook so hard she fell off her chair, simply rolled over on the floor, holding her stomach. The strains of Silent Night and Oh Little Town of Bethlehem were hardly sufficient to cover the uncontrolled giggling of the main characters. They're, mu they're much upset, but good-natured youth uh, director said, the only thing that didn't go to pieces was the light bulb in the manger. It never went out. And that's the point. The angels may have wondered. The Jews may have longed. When will you act, Lord? The light in the manger never goes out. And so that's what I pray that we learn. May we also stand in awe and wonder, hearing the message... As we kneel at the manger, bearing witness to the light of the world, which the darkness has not and cannot overcome. O oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Amen.